I invite you to open your scriptures to 1 John, some of the smaller letters right before the book of Revelation. And this morning we're simply going to get an overview, okay, for hopefully 12 minutes, and then we're going to read the entire book together. Well, I'll read it. You'll follow along quietly. And then uh, hopefully that will serve then for the next couple weeks, in the next couple months, uh, our understanding of this smaller letter written by John. The letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and this is our next series, our next sermon series, um, give us a window into the challenges, or we would say the tensions and the conflict of the early church. We have to remember, these aren't just independent letters written to individuals. John is actually writing to do damage control. And you're going to see that when we read it this morning. There are things that have crept up in the early church that John is speaking into to help protect those who are true followers of Jesus. First, John is anonymous, but second and third John, the very first verse in both of those smaller books, it is written by someone called the elder. Okay, you'll see that in second John verse one, third John verse one. And most people assume, and I think rightly so, that these were written by the same John who wrote the gospel, according to John. Okay, because the literary style is similar, the language and vocabulary used are similar. And so this is probably, most likely, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's what John calls himself at the end of the larger gospel. John is now older He's overseeing a network of house churches located in what seems to be ancient Ephesus. And the elder is writing to gatherings of Jesus followers in homes, not mega churches, not even churches like Highlands. These are small groups of Jesus followers gathering in homes. No Sunday school. I mean, I'm just trying to paint a picture here for you. No kids program, no teen group, no music team or Christian hits. No Coffee Connect, no college and career, no equipping electives. They're gathering, they're worshiping, they're praying, they're fellowshipping. And yet even there, a crisis enters into these smaller, simple gatherings. Here's the crisis. A group had left the church and they denied two things. They denied first that Jesus is the Messiah, God's promised anointed one, and they also denied that Jesus is the Son of God. So if you just take those two titles, Messiah and Son of God, what they are denying is Jesus' humanity as God and his deity as a human. And we'll develop that more as we go through the book in later sermons. This group created division through deception. They appeared authoritative. They appeared doctrinal. They appeared like they were caring for this flock, but they are identified. And it's very once we start reading the letter, these sort of evidences start clearly rising to the surface. They are identified as false teachers or antichrists, not the antichrist, but as antichrist because of their lack of love. Or we would say their lack of orthodoxy, straight teaching and orthopraxy, straight living. That's how they are to be identified. John doesn't really introduce any new ideas, but he takes his thought primarily from his larger gospel account in Jesus last sermon, if you would, or discourse in John chapters 13 to 17. As a matter of fact, John is going to say this. I'm not writing to you anything new. 
He's actually going to take out, he's going to extract from John chapters 13 to 17 and not give them a new teaching, but remind them that the path you chose to follow, this person, Jesus, who you have decided to follow, he is the true Messiah, God in the flesh. So John is writing to remind them of the truth, to persuade them to continue following Jesus. As a matter of fact, it's what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 verse 14. The aged Paul writes, young Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. John is doing the same thing. That's sort of his purpose for writing these churches. So like any written work, we should identify a purpose. What is the intent and purpose of John? And this is where it becomes a little bit tricky because John gives you four purpose statements, right? Not a single purpose statement, but four statements. I want you to look at these. Look at chapter one, verse four. Now, there's a there's a larger context that I'm not going to read here, but the context is chapter one, verses one to three. And John is writing. Look at verse four. And we are, and by the way, when John uses we, he is talking about true apostles. Writing to the next generation, which he'll talk, he'll use the word you. So there's this we and you. We are writing these things so that, that's your purpose, our joy may be complete. So there's a sense that the purpose of this letter in this context, this smaller section, is joy. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. John goes forth and gives them reasons why they should not sin. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that, there's your purpose, so that you may not sin. He moves from joy to purity. Look at chapter 2, verse 26. He's actually writing to educate and protect them against false teachers. Chapter 2, verse 26. I write these things to you. He doesn't use the term now so that, but about those. He's actually going to reveal the troublemakers. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So he moves from joy to purity to warning. And then finally, the fourth purpose statement. And what I would say is probably the overall purpose of the entire letter is found in John chapter 1 John 5 verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that, there's the purpose, that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, would you like to know that this morning? In the next 26 minutes, would you like to know for sure that you have eternal life? Okay, then 1 John is for you. Because that's the purpose of this letter. He is giving a final statement that probably expresses this letter as a whole, and it is assurance. John is going to provide avenues of assurance to those who have believed so that they don't doubt and they don't wander off. Here's the structure. This this makes 1 John not a simple letter. Uh, John does not teach in linear thought. It's not like laying down railroad track or like the building of a tall building. He actually uses sort of a concentric or circular design where he'll hit a theme. 
He'll go to another theme, he'll circle back to that theme, he'll hit another theme, circle back, and then he sort of hits all of them together in a shotgun pattern. And it, and it, it has led to a lot of interesting outlines on this letter. We're not going to try to outline it this morning. We're going to read it as a single letter to a church. Carson, Moo, and Morris, in a book they co-authored, observed the structure of 1 John is disputed largely because John takes up a number of themes and keeps returning to them in slightly different connections. Someone had said it this way. It's as if somebody took four stones and threw them into a pond close together and all the ripples go out. And after about a minute, you can't even really tell where the rocks hit because the ripples are sort of covering everything. Okay, that's First John. Isn't that exciting to read sort of this concentric design? Here are the themes. There's a distinct rep- repetition of at least three crucial themes. Truth, life, and love. True teaching, true living, true Loving. And of course, John's going to keep circling back uh, with a cyclical repetition and use stark contrast. So first, John, you'll notice he, he talks about light and darkness and love and hate and good and evil. But he's going to keep cycling back. True teaching, true living, true loving. We're going to divide it for our reading this morning into two sections. There's a clear introduction, verses one to four, chapter one. And a clear conclusion, chapter 5, 18 to 21, there are at least two larger sections in the middle. A lot of a lot of scholars move to three divisions, but there's 18 different interpretations on what those three divisions look like. And we're going to talk about each of those for five minutes each right now. No, we're not. We're going to just look at the two divisions. And I want you to see this. Look at chapter one. Verse five. This is the message. And then look at chapter 3, verse 11. This is the message. We're just going to use that as sort of chapter headings. And then underneath both of those, John is going to tell you about something that God is like. This is the message that we have received. God is light. And the second division, this is the message. God is love. John lays down three tests. Matter of fact, Carson, Moo, and Morris again state this. Virtually all sides agree that even though the literary structure of John is open to debate, all sides agree that John lays down three tests. One, true believers must believe that Jesus truly is the Christ come in the flesh. Matter of fact, John will say, if you don't believe that, you're an antichrist. Secondly, that confession of who Jesus is works itself out in righteousness And third, that confession works itself out in love. Again, true teaching, true living, true loving. One final note before we read this together. John uses a word 22 times in five short chapters. Well, chapter two is longer. You'll feel that when we read it. But then it it picks up again and moves, moves quickly. 22 times he uses this word, abiding. It is John's word for perseverance. The opposite of that is abandoning one proof that you are a true follower of Jesus Christ is that you remain, you abide, that you do not abandon. The apostle Paul, the apostle Paul told young Timothy and the church in first Timothy four thirteen. listen to what he says until I come devote yourself to the public reading 
of Scripture. So that's something we're going to do. We typically have um, verses before we sing a hymn to set our minds on Scripture truth, attached to truth through a hymn. Okay, we do that on purpose. Um, But this morning we're going to read this entire letter. And for some of you, this may be the first time you have read an entire book of the Bible in 2020. For some of you, this may be the first time you've ever read 1 John in a single setting. And so you're going to feel that a little bit. Okay, and our children are in here with us this morning uh, because it's the first Sunday of October and we we celebrate communion after this. Um, But I'm going to encourage you, pay attention. Don't become distracted uh, as we do exactly what First Timothy 413 says until I come devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. If I sense you are getting weary, I will have you stand for a chapter. Okay, so with that. First John chapter one, verse one. If you have a Bible in front of you, you may use it. It's uh, the English Standard Version, which I'll read from this morning. Uh, We have also put it in smaller font on the screen uh, just so we're not changing screens every other sentence. Okay, this is God's word. Under inspiration, using John as the human vehicle for truth to his church, for truth to us. First John chapter one, verse one. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. That will move us into section 1. 1 John 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him... While we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. 
At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us. Eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous. You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Chapter three, verse one. See what kind of love the father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. 
You know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. That moves us into the next section, 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Chapter four, verse one. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. 
because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men... The testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. 
all wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that God that does not lead to death. First John 5:18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true and His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And then perhaps surprisingly, he ends with this. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Do you doubt whether you are truly born again or not? You doubt whether you have life or not. First John is for you. Do you struggle with a lack of assurance? Does your heart condemn you? First John is for you. True teaching, true living, true loving. I'm going to ask our music team to come forward. And we are going to close by singing the hymn, uh, He Will Hold Me Fast. And if you saw anything throughout this letter... Uh, it is a very clear, simple confession of who Jesus Christ is and the fact that He holds us. It is by Him, not our own power. And what a joy to be able to, to sing uh, the truths of this letter where we see true teaching and true living and true loving. I'm going to invite you to stand. And then I'm going to lead us in prayer. And then we will sing together. Let's pray.